Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big, the handsome one that stands right in the middle. That's me. And you're listening to Music Mania Podcast. Thank you so much, man. I, I love talking about the things that I love, Clint. And for you to allow me to do it with you, uh, I am the Music Mania Podcast. You are the best. You got the best. We roll tonight to the guitar bite. And for those about to rock, I salute you. You're ready for some screaming heavy metal? Scream for me, Brazil! Scream for me, Brazil! We rock! You are now listening to the Music Mania Podcast, brought to you by CD Warehouse in Gladstone the number one hard rock podcast in the Midwest, featuring hard-hitting interviews with rock's living legends. And now, here's your host, Clint Schweitzer. It's Friday, so you know that means the Music Mania podcast is coming at you, and we are doing it for the second time this week. I hope you enjoyed our special episode, which aired earlier in the week, which had interviews with Zach Baer and Jeff Carlson. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was kind of a special one-off, two episodes This week here as we are now knee deep into September, the summer is over, fall weather hit here almost out of the blue here in Missouri where I live. It went from 90 degrees to about uh, 50 in just a couple days. That's kind of how it works here in Missouri. But guys, we are keeping the interviews rolling along and this week we are doing it with a guy that needs no introduction. It's Stallone. Frank, that is. Frank Stallone, soundtrack legend and brother of Sylvester Stallone going to be joining us to talk about music, politics, and life. What a great guy Frank is. He's been with Sylvester since the beginning, since the first Rocky. He appeared in uh, the first three Rocky films and did songs for each of the first three movies. Not only that, who could forget Peace in Our Life from the movie Rambo First Blood Part 2, a very impactful scene as Rambo walked off into the sunset and that song played. We're going to talk to Frank about his life with Sly growing up, what things have been like out in LA, what's it like being a conservative gasp in California? So much to get into with Frank Stallone. If you want to check out the video of that, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is Ignitro Entertainment. Subscribe there, and you can check out the video, the Zoom interview we did with Frank. So we like to bring you the podcast here and also give you the video. It's also on our website, musicmaniapodcast.com. My good friend and my co-host of the Elite Sports Podcast, Noah Groninger, did this interview with me. You'll see Noah drop in here on time to time when the right guest comes along. He will come in and and, uh, do an interview with me here on the Music Media Podcast. So you'll hear the voice of my um, Great American Sports Network partner, Noah Groniger. He does the Elite Sports Podcast with me and a million other projects we do for on the sports side. He's coming in. He's a huge fan of Rocky and Rambo and everything Frank Stallone's done. The guy's been in the movie Tombstone. He wrote the soundtrack for the movie Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. So much to get into. So enough of me. Let's get right to it. Our interview with none other than Frank Stallone. It's right here. Great stuff from Frank Stallone. Hope you'll check out his website. Frank, amazing stuff with Frank Stallone. Hope you'll check out his website. Frank Stallone, amazing stuff with Frank Stallone. Hope you, and that's it. Frank Stallone here on the Music Mania podcast. The interviews keep coming. What a great Time that was talking with Frank. What a great guy. Love hearing those stories about uh, Stallone. Growing up with Stallone. 
What a great interview that was here on the Music Mania Podcast. Frank Stallone joining us. Guys, that's what we do, and we're going to keep him coming here on the Music Mania Podcast. I've got interviews in the can. I've got Rowan Robertson, former Dio guitarist, current rating the Rock Vault guitarist, going to be joining us in the coming weeks. Got so much coming up, guys. It's going to be exciting as we kind of attack fall head on here on the podcast head over to our website musicmaniapodcast.com you can check out the video interview that we do with frank on zoom it's on the website also on our youtube channel ignite your entertainment hope you'll press that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher or spotify any way you choose to take in your podcast we always got your back thank you guys so much again for joining us on the music media podcast more to come as we are now in football season things are looking up maybe just maybe we'll get back to some semblance of normalcy. That's the point anyway. That's what we're going to try here on the Music Mania Podcast. Frank, how's, how's it going, man? Thanks so much. How you been? I'm doing good. Who am I speaking with, Clint? You got Clint and my partner Noah here. Oh, hi, Noah. Hey, well, Frank. What's well, happening, it, brother? Hey, it's great. I, I see your, your uh, Make America Great Again sign back there. What, what, you're outspoken, okay. man. Frank.Stallone on Instagram. What's it like being being in California? Kind of uh, not not necessarily the mindset shared by many of your <laughs> brethren out there. What's well, it like? Well, you know, there's a lot more rock musicians than you think that are that like Trump, like Kid Rock. There's 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 a few out there, you know, uh, uh, Post Malone, you know, guys like that. Well, being in being a professional musician since 1965. I've always been, you know, I grew up in that era. I've always been conservative. I wasn't like a snob. So I'm liberal on some things. But as far as the times we live in, I think he, I just think he's the right guy for the job. That's all. I just think it's gotten so crazy. And I just love the idea that he sticks it to China. And, and he's just, you know, I worked for him. You know, I used to play his casinos in Atlantic City. He was oh, great. interesting. Yeah, he was uh, what- great. What what's what have the last few months been like, man? It's been crazy, like you said. Well, yeah. I know you you play a lot of shows out there in Hollywood, yeah. and you've ha- probably had some postponed. I think you have some uh, again starting in October. Well, I'll tell you what happened. The last time I've done a live gig was in January. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So in in February, I just wasn't booked in February, and then we were going to start up in March, and then this came in and it just you know killed us, killed everything. I mean, basically, that's kind of what the. Of course, you like this, John Wayne, twenty twenty. Gotta love that. Yes. I just I just visited his birth, <laughs> his uh, hometown, his birthplace up here in Iowa is about two, three hours north of us here in Kansas he's City. I, I just I just visited that, and it's uh, I, he's great, man. I mean, he's one of my favorites, and I just don't like the way he's being maligned. I mean, I, I don't think we can be held accountable for everything we've said in our life because we've all said things, oh. we've all <laughs> done things. I mean, it's fifty years ago. Yeah, I, I sure yeah, hope you know, not. You I got Louis Farrakhan, like now, just saying horrible things about different people from different walks of life. You know what I mean? It's we're just not perfect. You know, perfect people, never perfect people, only perfect moments, right, Clint? And so cancel culture, not not necessarily your thing. I'll tell you what they did no, do is they all. they did put um, when I went up there, they have the statue, the John Wayne statue up there by his home, and somebody put a put a mask on him. Can you believe that? I well, they take did a that to Rocky statue, too. Oh, I yeah. saw that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know which one offends me more. Well, my brother was very <laughs> upset. He goes, I, they might take my statue down. I beat three black guys and a communist, so they might take my statue down. So what am I going to do? But, you know, it's, you know it's, it's, it's gotten so out of control. I mean, and how do I survive? I have my own friends. I pick my friends, Noah. You know, I, 
you know, I'm a competitive shooter. I've always been a shooter, you know, archery, guns, I've hunted, I've done, and I just do my own thing. I don't really encroach on anyone else's thing. They can do whatever they want. And I, and that to me is the American way. The American way, I am not, you know, people go, well, some of your posts are radical. I said, I don't think so at all. I think burning down people's businesses and pulling guys out of cars and beating up women, that to me is pretty radical. I think being patriotic and loving your country and respecting the office of the president and other people, I think that's pretty normal. Well, you also just turned 70. So happy belated on that, man. Uh, How's how's uh, 70 feeling so far? It's a very weird situation. So I'm a 70 year old and a 38 year old brain and body. So it's weird. So it's like, that's not bad. It's a Dorian Gray (laughs) vibe, you know? So it's, it was really weird. I told Sly, I said, man, I'm having a, I, I said, I'm just having a hard time with this. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. And I didn't. I was at my birthday party. I didn't even know how old I was, you know, so it was great. It's a, you know, it's, it, listen, I mean, when I was coming up in music, I turned professional in 65. So when I was coming up, I mean, basically, when you're at 26, 27, you're kind of long in the tooth for rock and roll, you know? And now you, you know, now, you know, I mean, because in the era of the Frankie Avalons and d- during that time, at 27, you were done. A lot of acts were done. So, But now, when you look at the Rolling Stones, uh, it's in their late 70s, and they're doing it right. And I, I went there, I posted something, and I wanted all these musicians and kids to know. I said, if you want to see how it's done right, go to a Stones concert. Now you'll see how it's done right. You know, it, it's really amazing when you see them. They don't really curse on stage that much. They'll go like, all right, you know, mate. But they don't, they're not really vulgar. This rock and roll, man. They just, I don't think U2 is either. I think U2 is like political. The Stones aren't really political. You no. know what I mean? But they just are so good. You know, it's like two hours of hit records. Well, were, were you and Sly, were you, I mean, growing up, were you guys kind of always on the creative side, like always, you know, listening to music and kind of, uh, what, was it, what was it like for you guys? I think he, I think personally, and, and he'll tell you too. I think I discovered mine before him. I mean, I started singing at six, you know? Oh. So, I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. Okay. At six years old, I see Elvis on TV and I flip out. I'm at six years old. I go, this is, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is where I'm going. Okay, so that's that seeds planted. And then when I saw the Beatles, I knew it game over. That was it. My parents looked, they go, We've lost them forever. That's it. <laughs> I didn't want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be a cop. I didn't want to be anything, even though respectful jobs and I respect them immensely. But I always wanted to be a, a, a you know rock musician. I wanted to be the Beatles or Elvis, period. And and you'll speak to a lot of musicians from my era, and that's kind of what they wanted to be. They either wanted to be Elvis or the Beatles. You know, well, and, and so that's what I did. I mean, I, 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 I honest to God, and I, I mean this, I swear this is true. When I was a kid, I would, when I would go to bed at night, I swear on my, I would dream about guitars that I wanted to get. That's why I have so many guitars, because these are the guitars I couldn't get, and now I got them, and I don't use them. So, I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> I just play, basically, mostly Les Pauls are my own guitars from Frank Stallone guitars, you know. So, uh <clears throat> Yeah, it's just something in you. You know, it's like like a lot of these athletes, they showed all those traits of that when they were like six, you know. 
Absolutely. And you've done things your own way. You mentioned a little bit ago, doing things your own way. Yeah. And so we got to talk about your documentary that's going to be coming out. Oh, Stallone, man. Frank, that is, post-production. Tell us a little bit more about that project. Well, no, it, it is done. It's, yeah. We're looking at Amazon in January, Amazon Prime. It's been a long haul. It's really interesting. I mean, again, I'm not a monster. I'm just conservative. I'm not like a psycho killer, you know? So a lot of these, um, I'm sure a lot of these um, film festivals saw it. And well, God, that's Frank Stallone. I see that. But we did win five best feature film documentaries. We, you know, we won uh, Garden State. We won Beverly Hills. We won New York. We won, you know, all these uh, things like that. I got to tell you something. I mean, and I'm not one... These guys came to me and said, listen, we want to do a documentary on you. And I go, really? I can't even get a job. You know, what the hell do you want to do a documentary on me for? So they did it, two young guys. And all I did was say, hey, these are people that are my friends. You can ask them. Uh, I, I can't promise anything. We'll ask them. Everyone said yes, to, except two people, which I will leave nameless, that uh, <laughs> oh. pretty upset about. Okay. Well, uh, and, and it was unbelievable. We ended up with, I mean, John Oates, Richie Sambora, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, my brothers all through it, Arnold, Danny Aiello, Frankie Avalon, Geraldo Rivera, you, about 40 people, wow. Tyler Shire, uh, Billy Zane, and, you know, just a lot of people. And I said, the most important thing to me in this documentary is the guys I started out with in 1965, my first band, because mm-hmm. that's where... It starts. That's inception. You know, that's the whole thing. And I hadn't seen some of these guys seriously, and I'm not proud of it. I hadn't seen them in 50 years, some guys, you know, I mean, since I left, you know, so, so it was beautiful. So all of a sudden they're doing it and they're just doing these interviews and they're traveling all over the country. Danny Aiello, Joe Montaigne, uh, it's just a lot of people. So all of a sudden we get to this thing. And they said, listen, we'd like you to come to a theater in Beverly Hills. We'll show you the rough cut. Now, of course, I've done some good movies, but I've done some really bad movies, too. I mean, I'll admit. So I, my, my kind of radar was up. I said, oh, boy, this could be. So I have my legal pad. I'm ready to redline the shit out of this thing. Nah, forget that. Can't put, <laughs> can't put. Okay, so I sit there with David, uh, 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 David Palomeni, who's one of the producers who I brought in on the thing, and was, you know, he was the best. And I sat there, they started. And that was without music. It's a kind of a rough cut. It's assembled pretty good. So next thing I know, I'm watching this thing. And I'm, I swear to God, I'm totally engrossed in the whole thing. It's emotional. I, it's, not, it's not even me anymore. I'm watching the people. It's I like almost. It's kind of like I took myself out of my own body, right. Watching another documentary, and I mean, I had tears in my eyes because you know you don't really know. You know, listen, I come from a different era. Now everyone hugging, hey man. I came from a different era. Guys, you know, went off the war. See you, son. Shake your hand. You know what I mean? They weren't huggy, so you never really knew what people thought about you. Other than hey, Frank's my buddy. You know, stuff like this. And I got to tell you, I was extremely moved because I was not there for any of the interviews. I didn't want to be. I just wanted it honest. And some of the things these people said about me were just so wonderful, saying, well, you know, Frank was serious in this. You know, he, this is what he wanted. We were there, you know, to get chicks. We were like 15 years old. <laughs> and so the documentary came out, and I got to tell you something. So here's the test. 
So I said, okay, we gotta go over to Sly's house in this theater and run this thing. And I'm there, oh Christ, okay, I gotta do it. I mean, he's in the movie. But I want him to really like this movie because I need him. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> if they interview him, then I want to say, yeah, my brother's movie sucks. So I don't want that. You know, I want him to like it. He's over there. So it's Sly, Jennifer, the director, Derek, Chris, and the kids. You know, the three beautiful daughters. They have their own podcast now. And we're watching it. All of a sudden, I'm hearing giggles and laughing. My brother's like laughing, watching. I'm there. Oh, good. Now. The director's sitting next to him. I'm sitting back here. And I hear my brother go, I said, now I know we're good. Now I know we're good. Because they don't like anything. If he's talking, because he's a director himself. Yeah. And 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 Derek idolizes slides. So I was, you know, I'm there. Oh God, he likes it. At the end, he goes, that thing's really good, man. But what he was doing was giving constructive criticism to Derek, like, you know, maybe you can tighten this up a little bit. And Derek. You know, was taking notes, and he did follow. And the girls were laughing. They had fun, because it is fun. I mean, it's a funny documentary in a lot of ways. And believe it or not, there's no cursing in the whole documentary. Now, I didn't plan it that way. I'm the only one hey. that curses. Yes, I got screwed <laughs> out of my Oscar nomination. So that's, the, that's the only curse word in the whole documentary <laughs> is me. And it's one word, you know. That's exciting, Frank. We're yeah. excited for you. We're going to be on the lookout for that for sure. Uh, we'll help promote that uh, when we hear about that oh, yeah. coming out we, in different spots. Yeah, I want that. I want you, you know, I, this is just the beginning. I Hopefully, when it comes out, we'll do an interview because it's going to be on Amazon yeah. Prime. We're going to do a lot of press. And I think, guys, people are going to be pretty excited about it because everyone's told my life story about me, which is kind of interesting. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've heard everything in the news from this all oh, I see you don't even know anything about me. This is not really so much me. It's other people telling the story about me, which makes it beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to that because the whole, the whole kind of mantra of, of, of the film is being not overlooked, but in other words, being taken for granted. Ah, oh, that's Rocky's brother. He possibly couldn't play guitar. Okay. I mean, so it's, all that stuff. So I understand more than anybody that that can happen. People go, well, how dare someone, you know, be in show business. I said, well, it's like horse racing. So if you have a great secretariat and you breed secretariat to a mayor and all of a sudden there's, there's this gelding or stutter mayor wins the Kentucky Derby, you're going to go, oh, that's impossible. It's secretariat's kid. You can't, it's genetics. It's in the genes. So, I mean, but, you know, so my brother and I, we, you know, we come from the same gene pools. So it's, it's, it's very possible. I mean, there's, you know, look at Tiki Barber and his brother, you know, unbelievable football that's, players when you cancel one guy out. So that's, that's really, really wonderful. And, and I feel great about it because, again, this is what happens. When I did Staying Alive, I said, okay, all my, my, all my troubles are over. This is great. Nominated for a Golden Globe, a Grammy. Ba, 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 Tina Turner saying, hey, I want you to write some songs, everything, go to premiere. My name's all over the place, like nine songs I wrote. And I'm in the movie by accident. But anyway, I'm still in it, right? <laughs> and then after that, man, it's the business is just, some people just don't want to give it up. And, and, and it was just really weird. And then I kind of had to start all over again. It's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so the movie a lot is about resilience, belief in yourself, because I, and I say that, I said, you cannot look in the mirror and be honest with yourself, say, do I have what it takes 
the going stage with Springsteen, Jagger, anybody like that. And I said, yeah, of course I would. I'm, I've been on stage for 55 years. It's like, I'm, I'm more comfortable on stage than I am on the ground. So, but I said, if you don't have that confidence, just like when I used to talk to Sugar Ray Leonard, I said, what did you think? He goes, I thought I could beat anybody. Mm. And that's what it was. I never thought, I never went into a fight thinking I'm going to lose. When the fight's so I'm just going to kick his ass. And you have to have that. I mean, a lot of people do. And there's a lot of people with not that great of a talent, but they have a great drive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And from that present day project and your documentary, we're going to go back a little bit here. We all know the story that Sly was just fighting to get Rocky made and he was bound and determined to play that part and that character. So how did it all come about that you were actually able to be a part of the film and perform the song, Take Uh, Me Back? Okay. Getting back to Rocky, briefly, everyone wanted the script, but they didn't want him. Right. Because he was underknown, he had a little slur. He didn't look like the Hollywood type guy. He was kind of muscular, kind of. He just didn't, he had his own look. He just looked a certain way. <laughs> and he said, you know what, man? He goes, if everybody in the world wants this thing and they don't want me, that means it must be pretty damn good. So I'm just, I got nothing to lose. I, don't, I really, you know, he just said, I don't really have anything to lose. So he found the right people, which was John Appleton. And John Avelson was a great director. Matter of fact, the guys that directed my documentary did the movie about John Avelson. If you get to see it, it's called King of the Underdogs. Same guys. John awesome. Avelson was like Rocky. He was always the guy that did the project, like Jack Lemmon, Save the Tiger, uh, the movie Joe. So he did these kind of underdog-type movies. And he was the perfect director at the perfect time. And my brother had the perfect thing. It was all perfect timing. So, okay, now that's why he held that because they went Burt Reynolds, Ryan O'Neill. And listen, I like Burt and I like Ryan, but it would have been a different movie. Yeah. yeah but, Very. So, yeah, been different. So then I'm living in Trenton, New Jersey in a dump, okay, $80 a month. <laughs> Crap. And I got my band, Valentine. We're gigging. You know, we're like big shots in our neighborhood, you know, in, in that area because we're a really good band, right? So I get a call from my brother and he said, hey, listen, I'm doing a movie about boxing. I go, that's nice. You know, what the hell do I know? Yeah. So he says, so he goes, yeah, I'm doing a movie about boxing. Yeah, I want you to write a song. I said, well, okay. I don't know really how to write a song about boxing. I don't know what the hell to write. You know what I'm saying? So we're good. You know what to do. So then he said, do like what you used to do when you were a kid, when you used to sing on the street corner, doing acapella music. Because in the 60s, remember, this is a little before the Beatles. Okay. So there were doo-wop groups and things. And I had sure. a high voice like Frankie okay. Lyman. And that's what we do. We sing on a street corner and you had to be able to sing. If you couldn't sing and you're not playing an instrument, what good are you, right? So that's so he goes, that's what I want you to recreate. So that's when I did Take You Back. And it was, and you know, a lot of people ask me, how did I get in the movie? The way I got in the movie is because they had no money. And I was the only <laughs> musician he knew. And, 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 you know, and it was cheap. I mean, they couldn't hire any like, you know, big, big, huge acts. They had no money. So they came out to Philadelphia on, by train. That's how low budget it is. Wow. He had butkus on the train. He the had dog. to sell butkus. 
first of all. Yeah, they say that. He says, yeah, for five minutes he did. Then yeah. all of a sudden, look at Jimmy Gambino. He goes, yeah, take the dog back. You know, so. you, you, you're kind of an Easter egg because you kind of play different characters in each Rocky movie. Like in two, you're back as the, the street corner singing a different song. There are yeah. two kinds of love. And then you're, you're back as almost a different character in three, singing pushing in the, in the, the tough jam part. Singing, yeah, singing pushing and doing a, another low, slow version of Take You Back. Like, right, rough gym. Okay, so that's Rocky three, and uh, and and I actually like the low version, but I wrote pushing with Bill Conti. I mean, it's look, man, it's it's not one of my great songs, but it's it's kind of like in that disco vein because it's it's like a party. It's, they're training, you know. So it's, <laughs> it's like pushing, accurate. It's like you know, it's like a bad earth, wind, and fire kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that, and then I had nothing in Rocky four. And then rock, and then after, well, then I had the title song to Rambo, part fit, uh, first blood part two, uh, yeah, and and that song is one of my favorite songs, Peace in Our Life. Oh. I mean, it's got the. I mean, I wanted to use this. I said, you guys should use this song. I know they used the one with Lee Greenwood, which is a great song, but Peace in Our Life has that same vibe. You know, it's a big song, and I wrote that for uh, first blood part two. At Rambo, and you know, again, it died. Nothing, nothing really happened. The movie was huge. The 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 song died. But now it's become like one of the most requested songs when I do concerts. It's well, funny. it's it's incredible. And to to think back to that, it it did fit the tone perfectly because the film with these overtones of real life atrocities of the government, you know, yeah, not, everything. not yeah. bailing out our POWs. My dad was in Vietnam, Frank. This was always his favorite song. That moment at the end of Rambo, when he says, gives that speech. And then the song comes on as, as Rambo walks away meant so much to so many people. My dad included a Vietnam vet who had friends never returned but never came because back. our government reneged on war reparations. So that, yeah. that means so much to so many people. You see vi tribute videos of it all over YouTube with, veterans embracing and over gravestones and things like that i think that song lives on if nothing more than just a you know, fitting tribute yeah i you know and that's because i got drafted in 1969 very wow. kind of a funny weird story i was playing a gig and i drove home it was probably 1 30 in the morning okay well you're living at home you don't really get mail there's nothing to get mailed for you don't pay for anything you're living at home you're a teenager right <laughs> All of a sudden, I never forgot. I walk in because I went to military school for a while. So I knew I was on the drill team. So I knew about, you know, field stripping M1 Grands and M1As and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> but I kind of grew out of that phase. I was a rock guy, right? You know, my hair was real long, man. Was, I thought I was the coolest thing going. So I come in the house and my mother and my little sister are sitting there with a Ouija board what the hell you know ouija board my sister's like okay this is 1970 she's like 10 okay and they're there at the ouija board Mark goes oh honey you got mail i go mail i never got mail i look at it, i go oh boy here we go <laughs> selective service act i open the thing up they go greetings you are you know going down for induction on such and such and so this was like november so i went uh, was for like January of, uh, matter of fact, I think I still have my draft card somewhere here. And somewhat, and uh, I do have my draft card, actually. I still, I save everything. I'm like nuts, right? <laughs> so I said, okay. Now, my oldest brother, Tom, was in for 20 years. He went in 58 and got out in 78. 
So by 1970, when I went down for induction, you can t ask your father, Tet Offensive was a nightmare. That's, yep. what, that's what kind of put the cap on, because even before Tet, where people go, what are we doing here? Why, why are we here? And so when you have soldiers questioning why they're there, the, the morale, so I, I said, well, I'm not going to burn my draft card. I'm not going to run. Uh, but at this point, nobody wanted to really go by 1970. It was like when you see the movie Platoon, yeah. that's what it was. A lot of racial strife, uh, big, big drug use. Big. I had a lot of friends that came back strung out on, uh, on opiates and stuff like that. So I carried the draft card with me, and, you know, I didn't run, but it wasn't like I was running down to the draft <laughs> board every week going, hey, man, am I ready? So I had this thing. So you had to have your draft card on you at all times because driver's license then didn't have a picture. So if a cop pulled you over, this is true. If you're 18, able body, and they just pulled you over, this is it. Ah, hey, Don, let me see your driver's license and your draft card. Not your insurance card, not yeah. your title. Your <laughs> driver's license and your draft card. If you didn't have it, oh, I don't have it. They cuffed you and took you downtown because they think you're a draft dodger. So I had that thing glued in my back pocket next to my Trojans. No, I'm not kidding. In my wallet. No. <laughs> Which I never got to use. I took it out once and it dissolved. Exactly. You know, you had it so long. But that's how it was. You know, you, you thought that was cool in high school. Hey, look at my wallet. You have that round circle. And so you never really get to use it. When you take it down, it's like dust. You know, so anyway, so I had the draft card. And that was it. I was waiting. You know, if I had to go, I, I went. You know, but it was just kind of interesting, like, you're playing rock games. This is, you know, this is the life. You're playing rock games in bars, but you also have a draft card in your pocket. In other words, this could be your last gig. They could call you up, and God. that was it. It was good for girls. You go, listen, honey, you know, I might get called up tomorrow, so let's uh, get busy. You know, <laughs> that, I that worked, I assume, back, back then. <laughs> yeah, good, good way to get late, yeah, in the 70s. So, but I mean, but it was an innocent. It was a different time than it is now. Of I mean, course, was, of course. Everyone was... A, Listen, every cop, every fire, they were all World War II Korean vets, all of them. The priests, they were all, everyone was in World War II or Korea. So it's like, it's not like today. If you ever spit in the cop's face in those days, that'd be the last spit you ever do. Because these guys were real combat veterans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you're dead. They know. They, you're not, you can push it so far, you know. <laughs> and these guys that have seen bloodshed and war, they're not going to take it from a guy wearing a man bun, okay? <laughs> So that's not, not going to happen. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Uh, but I got to go back to Rocky here just for a second. Yeah, there's some, sure, sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's some uh, behind the scenes of you and Sly kind of in the ring for a montage scene of Rocky Three. I don't know if uh, any of your scenes yeah. made it in there. I don't think so. But you and uh, Mr. T, Clubber Lang. Oh, there the, were. Yeah, yeah. That's in there. That's in the montage. It's sure. Me fighting Clubber Lang. Yep. And there is some of that up on the internet, which is the longer version with my brother yelling. Because Mr. T's coming after me. I'm popping him because I was a middleweight. He's like 220. I was like 165. <laughs> you held your own there for a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I was pop popping him all over the place. But I just didn't <laughs> want him to grab me because, you know, it was huge. So, and then I fight my brother in the movie. And if you see that montage where I'm in the corner and he hits me and knocks me out. So I get knocked out twice. So I said, <laughs> basically, I was a total utility guy. I sang. In the movie, yeah. fought Mr. T, fought my brother. I was like a singing heavy bag. You know what I mean? That was that was kind of my, my life in that movie. And it was, you know what? I, I got to tell you, when I saw them making Rocky, there's something you could feel. It's almost like 
when you hear a record for the first time, the first four, eight bars, you go, I, like when you hear like Tears or Fears, everyone wants to save the world. Right when you hear it, you said, this is a smash, man. You know what I mean? Uh, everybody wants to. But when you hear that record, it's perfect. When you hear, you know, there's just certain songs. Like when I was a kid, first time I heard Day Tripper, I go, whoa, wait a second, you know? And so when I saw Rocky, when I saw The Roughs, I said, there's something going on here. There's something really special. It's raw. And I think people were really uh, craving raw at that point. You know, they were kind of the pretty boys. I mean, I love Robert Redford. I mean, I love all those Paul Newman. But this was a different movie. This was kind of like Streetcar Named Desire or, you know, something like that. So we did it. It came out. I got to tell you a quick story, if I can, about the premiere, which was yeah. really weird. Okay. I have a picture somewhere. It's a picture of my brother and I standing outside the movie theater the day Rocky was open. Now, wow. remember, Rocky was only in two theaters, one on the East Coast and one on yeah. the West Coast. So it wasn't like, hey, man, 3,000 screens, okay? They thought it was going to do okay. They'd make their money back to show it in drive-ins, and that was it. That, that's what the original deal was. And we'll get our money out of it and all this nonsense. So anyway, we're there. For the pre so we're there at the afternoon screening on at the, at the theater where my brother was an usher two years, three years before. He was the wow. head usher at the Carnet Baronet Theater. So now you're coming back, and, and the picture, God darn it, I have it somewhere. But it has uh, appearing today, Rocky. That's it. And there's a picture of him, and he and I in front of the billboard wearing really bad polyester suits. We had no money and, <laughs> and bad hair, I must admit. And, and later on I said, do you, do you realize this is the last anonymous photo of us? This was the day of the premiere. So we're yeah. sitting in the movie theater watching the, uh, what do you call it? The afternoon theater, people coming in, right? Now this is the exact same movie. This is not a re-edit because the movie's open, right? And all of a sudden, I'm sitting with my brother, and people are just starting to walk out. And I see his face going, oh, oh, oh. You know, people are starting to walk out. Okay? To show you how strange things are. That night, when it opened, you could hear cheers from within the theater outside on Third Avenue. Because no the people went crazy. The movie never got a bad review. It got one bad review for some creep in new york in new york times <laughs> yeah i hate this guy was a real scumbag anyway but he gave it a bad review and this guy was a big critic they said you have to retract that they said now we look like assholes i mean everybody loves this movie but you well so he had to retract it and from there and from there it just turned into probably one of the most loved movies ever made and it was just very strange, but just go show you how weird it is. Like Elvis was turned down by every record company, the Beatles, every record company. My brother couldn't get a job, had no money, you know, had a, you know his voice, the way he looked and all. And then all of a sudden this thing comes, this, this jewel comes out at that time and the rest is history. And uh, it changed everyone's life. I don't know if it changed mine for the better. I'm thankful for it because it did help me. But what happened, I got caught up in this thing because I was always, you know, Frank Stallone musician, not compared to anybody but myself, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, 
uh, I became Frank Stallone, then I became Rocky's brother. I didn't have a first name anymore. Hey, that's Rocky's brother. I go, well, I do have a name, but anyway. So that's kind of where that went. So all of a sudden it was like, I think people thought I just picked up the guitar that afternoon, you know? So that's there was a lot of struggle with that. Even though we, we were on big screen, I'm still living in the ghetto and all that stuff like that. So the rest was history with that. Well, sort of sounds a little bit like you're seen in Fred Claus, the siblings anonymous. Oh God. <laughs> you know what? I love it. That thing. I got to tell you something. I was laughing so hard. Like Stephen Baldwin, there's stuff they didn't keep in there. He was really funny. He goes, Hey man, he almost got in a fist fight with Vince, like when he said he's Santa Claus's uh, brother. And it was a cute movie. It, it just didn't do well. I don't know why, but it's really funny. That scene, people go, man, we just love that scene. I go, and why didn't you make it longer? Why'd you cut it so much? You know, I guess because they thought they could. And uh, and Vince was really good. Vince is a really good actor. And I like the movie. I think it's a cute Christmas movie. But that was it. Siblings, siblings Anonymous. <laughs> well, Frank, you know? as we kind of wind down here, man, and we're going to have to do a part two in January when the documentary comes out, man. That's, that's for sure. We I would love to. That. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I got to know because, uh, you know, we're, we're huge uh, fans of old school pro wrestling. Of course, Hulk Hogan appeared in Rocky Three, But you, not <clears> only have you done uh, boxing and film, you've done it on, uh, on a, a show as well. And you did a professional wrestling show, which show, what, what's harder kind of to, to learn the ropes of the rigors of, of boxing or professional wrestling, which is a whole nother ball game when it comes to oh, performance. Man. I got to tell you some nasty knobs and, uh, Oh, those are brutal guy. Yeah. And you know what? And I, listen, I grew up watching Fabi Andy's Matt time, Antonio Rocca in the old days, you know, like the Kentuckians, stuff like that. So I, but the thing is I was more boxing into wrestling and I just, cause my neck, I couldn't take those slams, man. And it's amazing. If people think it's easy, go out there and try it. It's not because these guys are really, faster and tougher than you think. I mean, you know, when we did Paradise Alley with Terry Funk, yeah. these guys are tough, man. They, they may not, they might look a little beefy, but they're very strong and they're very tough and you could get hurt really bad. And I did. So that's why well, I was off the show, the second show. Well, you saw what Rocky did, what uh, what Hulk did to Sly and Rocky Underwood when, when he first came in and clubbed him over the head and knocked, knocked was, him out. I was there. Yeah. And I was broke, okay? So when the scene was when he picks him up and throws him in the stands, I said, oh, man, let him do it to me because it, it was like a $5,000 stunt and I was broke. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the stuntmen are looking at me like this. And the guy goes, Frank, I'm just going to be serious with you. You want to do it? But you could lose an eye. I mean, you could. I mean, he's throwing you into the stands. I mean, one of these chairs, anything. You're not a stuntman. You're a singer. So I didn't do it. So I go, yeah, I'll do it. I go, I don't think that's a good idea. But he did do it like it's really scary when 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 Hulk pick, Hulk's three hundred five pounds when he picks Sly up and he does the cruncher. If that was a mistake, it'd break your back right in half. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when he brings him down like this, and, mm -hmm. and you know what? And that was Terry's big break. I mean, he was, was, and he was great in it. And you know what? Yeah. 
And he's always been very thankful to Sly for that. And he's a good guy. Terry's a great guy. He's a really good guy. Well, Frank, even I though he you, fired me off the show, he's still well, right. I was going to say that was, you know, uh, me a jabroni or something like that. You made it further than Screech, so that's all that that's all that matters. Uh, Frank, you are the man. We can't thank you enough. We got to do this again when the okay. film comes out. Uh, thanks you again for all you've done for us. It's uh, uh, a truly an honor, man, for sure. Well, thank you, guys, and let's stay in touch. And uh, we'll. we'll revisit this after the new year can't wait to Absolutely. do it Absolutely. stay safe and stay healthy in the meantime and i uh, hope everything goes well man tell everybody hello and we'll uh, catch up soon my friend thanks buddy